Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. Well, we have certainly entered into the season, and uh, most of us have uh, prepared ourselves already. How many of you uh, happen to be on my Facebook and you look at my Facebook stuff? How many of you have been following my tree story? Okay, some of you have. Uh, You know, every time, every year we get tree, we get the real tree. We don't do the plastic thing. Uh, We do the real tree because we like the smell of it. Uh, But I have a real uh, dysfunctionality in making the tree stand upright. And uh, the tree that I got this time uh, is a bigger tree. And so I um, put the tree up and I go back to my study. I come back and it's fallen down. I put it up again, threw those things in. You know, I have one of those little green plastic things that, that have come directly from hell. And so, you know, you got to screw them, get them all even. And so then I go back and I do something else and I come back and it fell down again. So then I put the thing up and I do it. And this is a big tree too. And so I do it again, and then I put water in it because now I got it nailed down. It's not, and so I come back a couple hours, it's fallen down again, and the water is all over the floor. So now my Christianity is in trial. I want to get my saw out and just start cutting this tree because I feel it's a self-willed tree. It's, it's a tree with a sin nature bent to do its own thing. And so I knew that I couldn't do that because I had paid for it. And so finally, I did what what I should have done at the beginning. I said, Sharon, what should we do to get this tree to stand upright? She says, well, the base that we're using is no good. We need to buy another one. So I said, well, why don't you go get another one? She says, that's your job. I said, no. I said, you need to go find something that you really feel that this will not be another problem because this is falling on your floor and on your wall. And so you need to find something. So we found this huge base. I mean, you could, you could put a cedar tree that's full grown in this base. And we spent last night getting this tree and we pulled it. We did it. There's no way for this tree to fall down. I want you to know that you can prevail. How many of you have tree stories about trying to get trees to stay upright? Yes, it, it becomes a huge issue after a while. But we overcame. All right, the Christmas season. According to most researchers and writers and, you know, people in newspaper, magazine, everywhere else right now, Christmas is a tough time. Uh, tough time for people for a lot of reasons. Uh, the emotions run deep and wide every which direction. For some, it's a reminder that the family is not well. Or that you live in two homes and you have a father somewhere and a mother somewhere and family can't get together and you're reminded about all that pain and everything. And so that becomes an issue for every holiday. Also, the lack of resource or the lack of the capacity or ability to do what you want to do for Christmas brings up all the emotion of no, 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 no. We can't. We won't. We're not even going to do that. And so Christmas changes it's image. And then, of course, there's also the insanity spirit that comes over all drivers and shoppers uh, during this time. So if you go anywhere near a mall, my house is near a mall, 
And so if you go anywhere near a mall, the traffic is unbelievable. And so you have to go through all that. And then, you, you know, you try to, again, remember there's, there's a reason for this season. I'm not sure I can remember it every time I go near the mall. But there's a reason for this season. And so as you go through the season, there's a lot of different emotions that arise in people uh, that are not really... Celebrative emotions, their depression, uh, anxiety, fear. They say that uh, alcoholism and overeating and a number of other disorders really peak the 12th month of the year every year in America. Every year in America, the month of December, we have more business in the hospitals, more business with the counselors, more business with the police, more business with a lot of things that go on that should not go on in the month of December for the whole month, for the four weeks. This month marks not only for us a celebration about Jesus, but for many people an array of emotion and activity that is really damaging to them personally, to their home, to their marriage, maybe to the children, to life itself. And then someone comes along and says, well, Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, right. Merry, Merry Christmas. Huh? Who's the party for? I mean, why would you be happy about this time of year when I can't have and I can't do? Well, the reason people go through a lot of emotions this time of year is because we've lost the reason for Christmas. Now they're trying to slip in the happy holiday. Get rid of the word Christ. Must get that out of there. Can't put anything on the schoolyards. Can't do anything in the plays about Jesus. It's now just another like an Easter egg hunt. Or it's just another like a eat a turkey, but we don't know why. Or, you know, get a Christmas tree, but there's no connection to God or anything about Christianity. It's just a holiday to get off, get some extra money and go through life. We're not celebrating anything else except just a holiday. And so our nation is kind of wobbled with this whole thing called Christmas So I want to go right back to the basics. I want to talk with you about an attitude, a rejoicing attitude in Christmas. How do you do that? And I want to bring you right back to the basics, read the Christmas story and talk with you about the real reason again for Christmas and really try to get something out of this that would actually maybe change our perspective, not only ourselves as we go through, because any time there's an economical downturn, we're still experiencing and people have lost so much. Christmas represents what? Giving things, receiving things, and spending. There's billions that are spent during the next four weeks. But if you can't even enter into that, that itself is a hassle of an emotion and itself can be a very depressing thing if that's how you see Christmas and have experienced it so much. It could be that maybe this Christmas season, you're going to have to really pull back in and realize and find in yourself the actual reason for Christmas and then give from that to other people. What could you give to someone else if it wasn't a material gift? What could you give for Christmas if it had nothing to do with buying it at the mall? But you were so pumped about it and so overjoyed about it that everybody you spoke with, you were going to give them this gift and talk with them about the greatest gift in the world, which, of course, is Christ and what comes with Christ. And you were so filled with that that you would actually do something so creative at Christmas time that you would feel like you were giving out more than ever something more precious and more real. Like peace, like love, like forgiveness, 
Like the long due letter you should have already written to that person you should be in contact with. Or that overdue love that you need to show to that particular person in your life that you know you need to open up to. What would happen if Christmas became a gift from you personally? Not just the ugly tie or the ugly sweater or the tool they never use or the car they never read or the gift certificate they haven't used since the last three years you gave it to them. And, and so we go through all the gift exchange, but really we haven't really taken anything from ourselves and given to anybody. The phone call, the conversation, the prayer, the personal letter, something that would be so Different that they would look at that and that letter that you write them would be a hundred times, probably a thousand times more precious and meaningful than the gift in the box. Something that you would express from your heart and your life and your mind. What is Christmas all about? Well, you know that it's a celebration, but I'm going to deal with rejoice as an attitude. Rejoicing in Christmas time, is an attitude. One of the greatest gifts that I want you to discover during this time is your potential to have a God attitude in life right now. Attitude is a choice. Life with attitude. All right, life with an attitude. Everyone say life with an attitude. Now just say life with attitude. And then just ask yourself a very simple question right now because we're talking about rejoice, life with attitude. For four weeks, we're going to talk about the word Attitude, rejoice, Christmas, all tied in together and gifts and everything else with the Christmas story and talk about Mary and all that. But I want you to really kind of just sit back for a second and ask yourself a question. What kind of an attitude do I have right now? Weigh in. Your attitude is more important than your past. More important than your money. More important than your education. More important than your skill. It's more important than your health. Your attitude is the one thing that defines everything about you that you can control. Harvard did a very interesting research recently. And they discovered that in the jobs that were had, the jobs that people were hired in, they discovered that 85% of the people that were hired in jobs were because of the attitude of the person and only 15% because of the talent of the person. 85% of the time, they hired somebody with the right attitude. They hired someone they could see in them the potential to affect that job or that company with the kind of attitude they carried, even though they might have been low on skill, they can build skill, but they have a hard time building attitude. And attitude is infectious. Attitude contaminates. Attitude affects everybody around you. You can have the best skill in the world as a doctor, but people won't want to come see you because they don't like your attitude. Or you can be the, the best accountant in the world and murmuring all the time why you don't have more accounts because people don't like meeting with you. Your attitude stings. Your attitude is mean. 
You have all the facts. You have everything right. But your attitude is wrong. And people don't want to spend time with the wrong attitude. You can have the best skill as a parent. But if your attitude is wrong as a parent, your kids will not relate to all your principles and all your textbook ideas of what parenting means. They relate to an attitude. And that attitude in the parent, that love, that forgiveness, that something that represents the right parental attitude is more important than all the seminars you could ever go to. Attitude. In our generation, we discovered that if you can change your attitude, you can alter your life, your destiny. You can actually alter the way you behave if you can change your attitude. How's your attitude? How's your attitude IQ? How's your attitude disposition? What's your attitude like? A good attitude or a bad attitude? An attitude, of course, is something that comes from my values. And this is where I'm going with it and why it's a Christmas message. Attitude is something that lives inside you. It doesn't come on you. It comes out from you. Attitude is a possession. You have it right now. You either have a good or a bad, somewhere in between. Or you might have a God attitude about life. Well, that would be the best, is to have a God attitude about life. People with a bad attitude would have a very easy way to define their attitude. Remember, we're checking, we're putting the dipstick in here for a second. Blame shifting is a bad attitude. Blame shifting is, it's always your fault. It's the world's fault. It's the government's fault. It's the president's fault. It's the government in our state's fault. It's the tax person's fault. It's the police's fault. It's the school's fault. It's the coach's fault. It's the spouse's fault. It's the kid's fault. It's everyone's fault but mine. You blame shift. It never rests on you. You blame everyone around you. You're very good at it. You can just scoot that thing right over there and just throw it at them. Well, it's very easy for you to say, you're not a single mother. Blame shift. The reason I'm like this is because the reason I do this is, well, it's very easy for you to say, you don't have this. It's, it's not easy for anyone to judge anyone else, and we shouldn't. But attitude cannot be governed by circumstance. If it is, you will never have a perfectly good attitude. Because circumstances will never totally satisfy you. Attitudes cannot be governed by what you have. If that's the case, you have a good chance of having a lot of life with a bad attitude. Attitude cannot be governed by what people like about you. What people say about you. Attitude. Rejoice. Come on, shout rejoice. Say life Life. with With. attitude. My disposition that governs my behavior, my attitude. The thing that reflects my value. The thing that reflects what lives inside of me. What is pressure? Pressure is simply the way that life comes at us, or sometimes, as we would define in Christianity, a trial that puts enough pressure on us that what's inside of us comes out. God said in Deuteronomy chapter 8 about Israel, he says, 
The reason I brought you through the wilderness, the reason I tested you with all these things, the reason that we have gone this journey is that I might expose what's in your heart. What was in their heart every time they didn't get their way? They murmured and threatened God. They were the stiff-necked, rebellious, selfish, murmuring, complaining group you've ever been around in your life. God got so ticked off, he said, I'd rather just kill them all and start another nation for you, Moses. Moses says, you can't do that. That's how God felt about them because their attitude was really bad. God says, I did this to expose your attitude. What would it take to expose your attitude? What, what kind of pressure do you give into that really finally verbalizes what's been going on in your personal silent conversation that's just between you and your mind, you and your emotions? No one even knows what you're thinking. They don't have a clue what's in your head. And then when you blow up, they're flabbergasted. My goodness, where did that come from? Well, for you, it's no surprise because you've been going around and around and around and talking to yourself and feeling and suppressing the, the anger or the anxiety or the, the blame or the guilt or the shame or whatever it might be. And then finally, something just lines up the way it should. Something in life. Everything that day just kind of frames it in and you blow up. And all of a sudden, you're articulating Horrible attitude. An attitude that, well, will never help you, will never make you, will never push you further in life. It won't, it won't reflect what should be inside of you. Christmas is exactly one of those times where things come from so many different angles that get just enough pressure that if one kid says, that's not exactly what I wanted. You get out a rope and you want to string them up. Take that off the tape. All of a sudden, you're reacting to them. Well, that's exactly what you're going to get because I looked all over the place. And you just blow up and the kid is just there. I just said I didn't think I liked it that much. I didn't, I didn't know yet. But there's so much in you. Just, that was just a little short fuse they lit. And when the economy, pressure, job, finance lands on the home, pressure starts to build. When you sit down and you can't pay that bill, it's pressure. Then you can't do something else, it's pressure. Then you can't do what you want to do, it's pressure. Then someone else wants to go out and eat and the other couple are going and you want to go with them, but you can't go because you don't have the money, it's pressure. Every one of those things just keep piling on. Oh, by the way, Merry Christmas. How many of you would say, you know, Pastor Frank, I know exactly what you're talking about. Let's see your hands. How many would say, and you know what? I've had just a little bit of a bad attitude in the last decade. All right, we want to take the attitude that was in Jesus. Now, here's a good scripture 
just as we float through, put it down, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this attitude be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, 5 is a great scripture. Let the same attitude that he had be in you. Well, how are you going to get a great attitude that Jesus had? Very simple. You need to get Jesus in you. So the whole purpose of the incarnation and thing called Christmas and the new birth and how we go about this whole thing is that Christ in you gives you the opportunity to form a whole new life inside that then is reflected by your behavior and your attitudes on the outside and you live a consistent life between the two. You're not a schizophrenic. You don't have two lives that are being double-minded. You're not one way inside and one way outside. You're one whole person. And when your attitude lines up with your behavior, the wholeness in that right there is a peace and a joy. But it can't happen unless you have Christ in you and you develop that. Christmas is a time to celebrate. We celebrate the birthday of the greatest person ever born. Every time someone says you happy holidays, say to them, we're celebrating a birthday. Just tell them straight up. Whose birthday? Jesus. It is why we say Merry Christmas. It's his party. We're actually doing a birthday candle thing here. We're doing a gift thing here. We're we're having a party. How would you like to be Jesus and come to your party and no one knows it's your birthday? You show up at the party already And no one even sings happy birthday because they don't even know that's what the party is about. They have no idea it's your birthday. So it is. People have forgotten. It's a party. It's a time to rejoice. Christmas is a time to rejoice. We have received the greatest gift. The gift of Christ himself. The most basic. We have hope and salvation, a reason to feel joy and delight. If we have nothing... We possess nothing in life. There's no material reasons. There's nothing we can do with our job and our income and our resources. It has nothing to do with how you should have an attitude about this Christmas time. Christmas is a time to receive a merry miracle. If you have your Bibles, as we move through some of this, I'd like you to go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. We're talking about the Christmas story. Christmas time to receive a merry miracle, a moment when eternity penetrates time with power that changes your life, past, present, and future. The very thought of Christmas should bring one of those great thoughts that it's time for you to receive a merry miracle. The same way that Mary received her miracle. God penetrated her life in a moment of a miracle. A moment where eternity touched down and everything that had no hope changed. God created something in her that would change the world. What's that have to do with you? An attitude for receiving a merry miracle. This is what I'm saying to you. I hope you take this one down, this slide right here. 
The attitude for receiving a Mary miracle, you must be open to God's unlimited possibilities. God wants a touchdown in your life. God wants to create something new. No matter what is happening right now, there's a potential for a miracle for God to create, for God to change your attitude, for God to change your life, for God to invade your world. There's a possibility. That's what the incarnation's all about. An old theological word that has lost most of its impact in today's culture. Incarnation. Resisting the restrictions brought about by daily routine problems that invade our lives, homes, workplaces, and minds till we we reduce the possibility for a miracle to almost a nothing. We don't even think about, oh, yeah, that's right. The reason I believe in Jesus, it started with supernatural. It started with a miracle. It started with God invading a person's life. It wasn't what she did. It was what God did. And then Jesus came to bring salvation. So no matter how bad it gets, there's the point of contact here that I can believe that God can still enter my world and work supernaturally because that's the kind of Christianity I have. That's how this works. The Mary miracle opens the promise and pathway for God to incarnate his gracious power and purpose into the experience of anyone who will open up to the same order of miracle. How? Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. Are you there? Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's how this verse dates, is according to how the angel has visited Elizabeth and she's going to have a miracle child called John the Baptist who will be the cousin of Jesus. Elizabeth and Mary, John the Baptist, Jesus. And so... It starts with the Christmas account talking about this miracle with this old man and old woman who are way past their time to have a child is now in her sixth month. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth. Remember, Nazareth is the place that nothing good comes out of. Nazareth is the, uh, the hill country, the farmers, the non-professionals, the poor, uh, the, the people that have never made any kind of a name or a mark on anything, so much that you have that saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a nowhere place. It was not the New York City. It was not the Los Angeles. It was some Poto Junction out in the middle of nowhere, and it had no famous people. And here, the angel visits a hand-picked little lady in the village of Galilee. I think it still is amazing. Out of Galilee and Nazareth being kind of the one defined place that says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Eleven of the twelve apostles came out of Galilee. God always chooses what looks to the human eye as can't be, the are-nots, and makes them into what he wants. The way God chooses is not the way we choose. The way God sees is not the way we see. The way that we see obstacles in front of us and what we don't have have no bearing whatsoever on what God can bring into your life. So he chooses this little lady. A virgin named Mary, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. 
The Lord is with you. Verse 29. Confused and disturbed. That's how many people take good news. Who, me? Why? No, that ain't true. I don't feel that way. I don't see it. How? What are you talking about? What do you mean I'm blessed? What do you mean I'm favored? What do you mean I'm chosen? What do you mean I have a good life? I don't feel like I have a good life. I don't feel like anything really divine is going to happen to me. Mary, confused and disturbed, tried to think what the angel possibly could mean. Don't be frightened, Mary, the angel told her. For God had decided to bless you. Would you turn to the other person, whoever you haven't talked to yet, and just say, God had decided to bless you. Now just say it out loud to yourself. God had decided to bless me, you should be saying. God had decided. One more time. And say, because I'm favored, I'm chosen, and I'm special. And God knows my name, knows where I live. He's been to Nazareth. He knows how to bring good things out of bad places. So God had chosen to bless me. And I receive it. Okay, now listen. For God had decided to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son. And you are to name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, just like our response, how can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. How can this happen? There's there's no possible way in the natural realm for this to happen. Angel, I hear you, and I want to believe you, but... There is no natural way for this to happen. I've never known a man. I've never, ever known a man. So how can this happen? The angel replied, The Holy Spirit. Say out loud, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Now, is there some difference between the Holy Spirit back then and now? No. Can the Holy Spirit do things outside of the natural realm? Yes. Does the Holy Spirit use things that we can't see to work out things that we want to see? Yes. And do we get often confused and a little bit perturbed because we can't figure it out? Yes. We're just like Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's already in her sixth month. In other words, there's a miracle. Then we have this famous verse we use, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, the best in the Bible. I am the Lord's servant. I am willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you have said come true. And then the angel left Mary. Now, The incarnation that takes place in the life of Mary is because there's going to come the Holy Spirit and a deposit of the God peace into her. And out of that will come something that is holy and awesome. 
the Mary miracle, the incarnation. For you to have an incarnation, would you please just put it down this way and let's just get the basic first stone laid to make sure we all have it. For you to have an incarnation, for you to have a Christ in you, you have to have salvation. And to have salvation means something has to happen in you, not on you or around you, in you. Salvation is something that is the Savior is yours. It's a personal encounter with God. It's a personal experience. Something transformed begins to grow. You are actually now becoming a person who has the seed in you. And that seed begins to grow because it's a salvation experience. You will not have the attitude you want toward life unless you have a Christ in you that is forming the very way you feel, you speak, you decide. It comes from a Christ peace inside of you. I can't believe how many people that I personally talk with that do not understand salvation. That go to church. They understand belief, which is a doctrinal assent to God. It's an important piece to understand who you believe and why. But it says in the Bible, the devil's Believe and tremble, but they're not saved. That's what the Bible says. To have knowledge about what you believe and why does not mean you have a transformation of the inner life. For Mary to say, oh, I believe. That's right, angel. Oh, that's awesome. Sure, that could happen. It's going to happen to you. It's not going to happen to me because I ain't going to let it happen to me. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. I don't think so. It had to go from belief to transform me. Let the Holy Spirit in. Wherever you're sitting in God right now, however you found this message, listening online, listening iPod, listening uh, off the video on the web, listening live right now in the rooms, that we're preaching to simulcast and live, wherever and however you get this message, ask yourself a very important question. Has anything ever changed inside of you? I don't want to know about your church attendance. In America, yeah, I go to church. So what? The devils go to church and worship with choirs. It doesn't matter. Well, I I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Great. It's not a doctrinal statement. It's not a church attendance. It's not a charity giving. It's not a, my whole family were missionaries. So what? I mean, that's great for them. I'm talking about you. Have you ever been saved? I went to church my whole young life up until I was 17 and was never saved was in church every Sunday. So I do know how it happens. Because I did it. I was never saved. Why? Everything was like water off a duck's back. Everything came on me and moved off of me. Nothing ever came into me. I never had a hunger for Jesus. Prayer was always torture, even to do a breakfast prayer. Reading through the Bible was the worst nightmare for me because I hated reading the Bible. 
It had nothing. Everything was pressured for me to do, but there was no desire in me to have. Why? Because there was no incarnation of Jesus in me. Incarnation has to do with you receiving Jesus as your Savior, Lord, understanding what the cross is, asking Jesus into your life, having a Holy Spirit transformation of your inner man. Scriptures. 1 Peter 1.23, having been born again, there is no other way for this to happen. 1 Peter 1.23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. 1 John 3.9, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, that's a verse to reckon with. Colossians 3.16, let the word of God dwell in you richly. And that word is that divine germ of the kingdom of God that comes in through the spirit of the Lord Jesus. It's the word of Christ in us. 1 Peter 1.8, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. 1 Peter 5.1, you should become a partaker of the glory of that will be revealed. How? Colossians 1.27. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 needs to be tied to Galatians 4.19. My little children for whom I labor and birth again until what? Until Christ is formed in you. If there is no transformation, there is no formation going on. And if there is no formation, there is no incarnation. There is no embellishment of the seed of Christ in you to grow into a full man that would manifest the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of Christ. Let this attitude be in you that was also in Christ. Let Christ be in you. The attitude that you will have of life will only come if Christ is being formed and shaped, the seed is growing, and you answer the three big questions of life. If you ask Christ into your life and you experience a Holy Spirit encounter, a Holy Spirit deposit, You'll answer these three questions. Why am I alive? Does my life matter? What is my purpose? Those are the best gifts that you could possibly ever give anybody you love. Maybe your goal for this year should be to help every child, grandchild, cousin, brother, friend answer the three questions. Why am I alive? Write them a card, a Christmas card. Why am I alive? They might think it a little odd, but you might open up a conversation. Write them a Christmas card. Does my life matter? Are you asking this question? I have an idea for you. Ask them. Do you know your purpose in life? I can help you. The greatest gift that could ever be shared at your family table, at your extended family table, as you go visit 
different families, our friends, is to look around that table and ask yourself this question. Are they really born again? Are they saved? Have they received the greatest gift of all? Christ. And if they have received him, are they growing? How can I help that? Well, then you have real perspective on Christmas. Your merry miracle is on its way. God to shape you. God to shape your attitude. God to shape everybody around you. And if you can't give them things, give them Jesus. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? Can I hear an amen?